welcome everyone to the 87th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with uh, Nick Tartaglia. What's up, Dan? It's like you almost know what I'm going to say every time, right? Exactly. It's like, what, what, what are we really doing here? How are you? Good to see you. Everything's going well. But, uh, but it, it's critical what's happening right now because now we'll, like, well, we have the pullback that's occurring in, it, it feels like um, kind of like a hope kind of came back into the market, some excitement, risk on, tech kind of performing. Uh, you've got a pullback after gold doing all-time high. Gold did a pullback. Silver's coming back too. But then we have this little deck dile- uh, this debt dilemma coming on the United States where now they're saying, they're saying by, January, uh, by June 1st, they're out of money. Now, as someone who's kind of invested in gold and it's not, maybe you know what? You want to play this risk game with your, with your country and you don't want to cut spending. You just want to keep spending and you want to put debt at risk. By all means, go ahead. I'm pretty sure that'll, that'll kind of benefit us down the line. But, you know, it's kind of this market's everywhere. They think things are going well. There's hope, but there's also this critical kind of dilemma at this kind of like pivotal point right now. Well, so it's just I, interesting to see where the market's at. And, and I want to kind of build on that because the thing for me that's kind of signaling, we're reaching a top of a sort of tech rally. Um, NVIDIA just hit an all-time high. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? The contrarian in me is like, okay, maybe we should buy more gold. And we're really seeing a lot of developments with the junior miners and the mining space as well. Like deals are happening. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot of inflow there. And I don't. it's not getting a lot of attention at all unless you're obviously in the space. Um, so we're going to, we're going to do a deep dive in that today, uh, because there's, uh, a very interesting gentleman here, um, who's got well over 10 years of experience as a consultant in the capital markets, particularly in the mining space. Um, he's worked with over a hundred companies over the last 10 years. And during his career, he's advised clients on corporate finance matters, uh, written a wide, wide range of financial newsletters, one in particular, quote, called the Das Investor Magazine. Um, and he's also the CEO of Vancouver-based Orenic, Orenic. I apologize if I mispronounced that, but it's a data mining company that tracks financial activity of mining companies for all the uh, Canadian uh, listed public companies on the TSX, TSX, VNCSC. Um, welcome to the New Gen Mindset Podcast, Kai Hoffman. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. Great to see you all again. And uh, it's been a while since Vancouver. So I'm looking forward to our conversation here. It'd be fun. Exactly. So it's about time we've had you on. And it's relevant because as Dan mentioned, you know, we were having a lot of um, deal flows. But before we get into like the mining space, like more deeper into the mining space, obviously, at the beginning of every episode, we'd like to get to know you. So just, you know, how did you get into mining? Because obviously, it's not like I feel like a lot of people in the mining space don't necessarily just start off in mining, they kind of indirectly end up in mining and then stay there exactly what happened to me as well uh always thought i'd end up in tech to be honest always fascinated maybe a bit of a nerd and geek you can see the maybe a bit of a studio setup amazing COVID project a bit bit geeky and nerdy when it comes to that stuff so i always thought okay i end up at uh, web 2.0 company back in the day right no uh fortune meant different and uh, i ended up in mining so worked at a corporate finance boutique back in frankfurt and uh, one of the companies we worked with and advised on was a rare earth company so 2008, 2009, boom times. We set up the company. We put a pro- we helped put a project in. It was in Madagascar, and the stock just flew off the shelf. It was just insane, like insanity. But uh, what was per- what was amazing was I got to travel to San Francisco, just, uh, Vancouver, to the different conferences. Vrick back in I think it was in 2010. The conference was uh, split up over two hotels because of the Olympics. 
And that, that was amazing. I still have friends from that time. I just actually had coffee with one of them this morning as well. It was the first person I met was in San Francisco. He had a booth next to me. So I got addicted to the people as well in the mm-hmm. industry. Well, like I was young, I was 24, 25 when the first like six, let's, let's call it success. Like where, where I made a little bit of money for, for me back in the day, it was quite a bit of money. It was lower five digits. It wasn't that much to be honest, but, uh, like I was young and dumb, right? So I was like, oh, this is an interesting sector. And uh, I love the international aspect of it, traveling. Mm. So I just stuck and uh, I tried to make a name for myself in the sector for the last 12, 13 years, going out on my own when I was only, oh, what was I, 2013? I was, yeah, no, I was 26, 27, I think, around that age when I started Sora Financial. So it's been 12 years. And uh, as you said, like I've worked with over 100 companies. We run three companies within the Sora Financial Group or in Inc., that's how you pronounce it, by the way. Nope. It's. Uh, I need a lesson in German, by the way, but we'll get to that later. I, I, I actually didn't name the company. I bought it in September 2016. I didn't name it. so <laughs> But I kept the name because everybody's struggling with it. So I was just like, ah, I might as well keep it, right? <laughs> so, but uh, just trying to make a name for myself and really get to know the sector. There's so much to be learned. I'm not a geologist. I'm not an engineer. But uh, I, I like what the sector does. Like, it's pretty much the first industry ever created was mining. Right. Very true. Maybe prostitution was a little sooner, but uh, <laughs> you had to pay with something. Right. So uh, mining was part of that equation. Right. So I, I kind of like the idea of that. My kids love it as well, um, that we're involved in mining. They like the gold aspect, of course, it's shiny. So it's uh, it's it's motivating. And I just lo- genuinely love the people in the sector as well. Yeah. Awesome. I understand that, you know, because like, think about it, you couldn't really go to war without weapons and armor and you couldn't really pay anybody without any of these things. So you kind of like mind and that was a big component of, you know, 5,000 years of history of this type of stuff. Like, so it, it all starts with mining in the end. Like it's yeah, either exactly. farm it or you mine it. Like there's no other option. Okay. Exactly. So, and the mining part includes all the chemical process as well, because even mining includes oil and gas extraction, mm-hmm. right? So you, you need all of that. So uh, I, I kind of like being at the forefront because it also uh, we, we look at the world a bit differently in mining, I think, um, yeah, than maybe the rest of the world, which is interesting because we have a different view because we look at it way earlier stage. A lot of friends and other like like minded people, they're, they're looking at, at, at the end product. We look at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? which is interesting. So you have very different discussions in mining as well about how things are progressing. And I kind of like that as well. It's, it's niche. Uh, I'm one of maybe three to five people in Germany that do what we do, which is kind of cool. Right. So it's uh, mining has its appeal because it is so niche, but it's also so, so much needed. Talk to us about store financial real quickly before we do a deep dive into the, uh, the mining, you know, the mining names that you're looking at, what else you're seeing out there. Cause you've obviously had boots on the ground, but like, I was really interested. It's like a full scope, uh, IR boutique capital market shop purely for mining or junior mining companies. Right. Exactly. Uh, I lived in Vancouver for three and a half years, moved back to Germany just, just recently last summer, uh, but always mostly focused on the European German speaking markets. Uh, I started out, I actually inherited a lunch list back in the day. That was the very first thing we did, like organized luncheons for mining company coming through town and uh, did that. But we weeded out that list long time now, fortunately, because holy moly, there were some people on there. But uh, 
So, so for now, so like introductions to capital, we do roadshows. The whole point is to create visibility for our clients in not just the German speaking markets. We do interviews on our YouTube channel. We have 13,000 subscribers now, but we do them in English. So it's almost global visibility to, to a degree. Uh, you can see a banner behind me. We run a really successful German mining investment conference now uh, as well. Uh, just really niche, but we tracked a lot of the mint Twitters, meaning a lot of people that are active on Twitter in the mining space. They were coming down from Finland, from Sweden, uh, from the Netherlands, from Belgium. So we were occupying another niche there, which brings value. And that's the whole stigma of it, of what Soar is doing, is provide value and visibility for our clients. And I think we're ticking the box there. And do you see do you see the community growing? Like, since you've been in for so many years, like, do you see a progression in the growth of the community? No, it's shrinking. <laughs> Oh wow! Okay. Uh, it, it's it's shrinking. Like, look at the investors. Like, I've just had that conversation over lunch with somebody uh, t today. Uh, uh, we actually interviewed Matt Badiali earlier today, and we had that discussion off off camera. Uh, or actually, no, sorry, even on camera, because he wrote for Stansbury before. He said, "Ah, oh, well, we had uh, 120,000 paying subscribers." It's like, so Matt, let's be realistic. In today's day and age, how many would you have? My gut would say more than can't be more than 20,000, because all the investors disappeared into other sectors. Right. So me and community growing, I'm looking at investors and uh, I think they're disappearing. I don't want to say die off, but a lot of the investors are definitely of older age in the mining space, while the younger generation got uh, distracted by maybe cannabis and Bitcoin and, mm. uh, and the alternative currencies there. Right. And tech. Yeah, of course. Like, mm. Absolutely. So we're not we're still not sexy despite close to two thousand dollar gold. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. it's true. And do you see now to get into like start off with a comparison before we get into the present. Do you see kind of any similarity patterns or is there any lessons from, let's say, the last cycle that you saw in the early 2000s? Uh, sorry, in the early two, like 2010 relative to now? Funny enough, the mining industry doesn't change much, right? I think some of the slide decks still look the same like they did in 2010. Um, everybody uses Microsoft standard funds. Um, so I don't think much has changed, uh, although there are some fantastic groups trying to push change into the sector, but uh, some some groups are extremely stubborn mm -hmm. <laughs> or not just maybe the industry is stubborn, like although it wants to, but it doesn't really want to. Maybe it's gotten a little too comfortable as well. Um, maybe let's call it a silver lining of COVID that we had to innovate with certain things. We're doing this via Zoom. Uh, for example, is, is definitely a step in the right direction. So there are new tools maybe available, but not everybody's capable of using them. Um, Verify, for example, is a new technology, I would say a new technology, but it's an accessible tool for everybody to use and to create presentations with. And uh, it's still only a minuscule amount of companies that are using it because half the, or even the companies that have Verify don't even know how to use it properly, right? So I think that's an adaption issue in the sector um, on, on the investment side. It's still a dinosaur type of industry, even, even Unfortunately, today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which is what we say, right? It's a lot. There's a lot of old people in the sector. You no, know, me and Dan, we go to lunch at like basically luncheons here in Montreal and we're, we're the two young guys. It's like everybody else is 40, 50, 60 years old. Hey, careful now. Careful now. I'm 39. Okay. <laughs> no, no, but, uh, like I'm paying attention to that as well. Unfortunately, that's changing. And, uh, like I hate to toot our own horn, but fortunately at the German mining or at the German um, gold show, the Deutsche Goldmesse, we are seeing younger people. Good. Fortunately, there are groups coming down from Sweden, from Finland that are younger. But I, I keep saying, like I've been in the industry as as SOAR Financial for 12 years now. So I started when I was 26, 27, but it feels like I'm still one of the younger guys in the game. Mm -hmm. I would still. Okay. Like I, there, I, there are others as well. Don't get me wrong. 
but overall, like there's a massive gap. Yeah. No, I right. Agree. So that's, that's mind blowing. And that's it from an investment standpoint. I think that one of the biggest gaps missing is that it's an ecosystem predominantly with older people who have, who have been in the space for a long time and they don't necessarily understand how to tell a story that resonates with the younger generations to kind of get them involved in the space to attract a new generation investors. Also because, you know, like you were saying at the beginning, you know, the space has a lot of interesting people and you see the world differently, which I entirely agree because I find most people in this space are much more, they Mac look at things much more from a macro standpoint, macro oriented, yeah. very big. And they talk not just about just the mining company. They'll talk about politics. They'll talk economics. They'll talk business. They'll talk about so many different perspectives and lens. And it feels like there's so much information that's like, where do you even start? Whereas if you're looking at tech, okay, he does this little tech company. They do this product. It's so easy to understand. They're going to make a lot of money. That's it. Done. There's like the, the, the investment thesis is over for that. So, you know, but the, I think they're missing out because there's so much to learn from the space. And even if it's not necessarily from specific mining and investing in mining, you kind of understand how the world shapes because it's like, if you're going to listen to the ASG thesis right now, where we're going to go green this and green that, but it's like people who kind of pay attention to their mining space are like, well, none of this makes any sense because like they're forgetting the input. So like you were saying, you, we look at the beginning part, if you don't look at the beginning part, everything you're dreaming as an outcome, it can't really happen if the beginning part doesn't make sense to that. So, you know, it's an intriguing space. And that's why kind of me and Dan kind of fell in love with a lot of people within it because we've learned so much from it. Absolutely. It's a very pragmatic space, which really fits my MO, right? I'm really pragmatic. Um, I, I look at it like, how is something achievable, right? And uh, as, you, as you said, there's so many factors pulling in or on the gold mining space, like gold is the main driver in whatever we do in mining. If the gold price is not performing well, even a copper junior won't have or won't see the light of day, right? It'll be really tough unless they have a massive discovery. But until they get there, it's, uh, it's, it's tough, right? Gold is the main thing. And there's so many macro factors pulling on gold right now. You have to have a better holistic understanding of, of what is happening. Like if you're arguing, it's like, oh, I'm just complaining that you can't raise any money. Well, the risk side of things is, is part of that, right? If you look at a higher US dollar, the yields of, of the treasury bonds, that all factors into that. Like, mm. like why would you invest in a mining company when you can get 5% yield on a, on a 10 year? Like why bother? Like for many, right? Like yeah. that's... So that that's what people don't understand. So there's a bitter, there, there's more involved than just oh yeah, we need to get this out of the ground, crush it, grind it, and uh, sell it, right? So so let's 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 do a deep dive into this because I think the the thing that attracted me most about this sector is that you have an opportunity, especially because we've entered, and I think you would agree with this. We've entered a period where we're probably in the super cycle of commodities. It's just kind of slowly starting to kick off here, but. The potential returns on some of these assets or these companies could be life-changing, right? So what are you doing right now to position yourself for what's potential on the horizon? Again, nobody has a crystal ball. We obviously have to be hedged. I still own T-bills. I still have money market funds in my portfolio, but I do have an allocation to certain junior exploration companies as well. So walk us through sort of what your thesis is right now on this market that you're seeing. I look, I look at deal flow. Um, I looked, there, there's a lot of aspects actually. I don't think there's a right answer. And my answer has changed a little bit over the last, I don't know, 24 months as well. Because it used to be like, oh, I'll just look at management. Um, I think I've taken a slightly softer stance on it. Because if you, in, in, in talking general terms, meaning, okay, management is great. But if you're new to the space, how can you identify good management teams? Mm -hmm. Okay, don't don't tell me, oh, there he's a serial entrepreneur. He's made... 
uh, he, he's sold five companies. It takes a lot of research and you don't really know who pulled the strings in the background. Okay. Um, the smaller company size you go or the smaller companies, the more difficult it is to find out who's actually pulling the strings. So th th that's difficult. That's why it's like management. Yes, of course. Like if, if a group um, works with Peter McGall or like they, they've had experience working with Dave Lowell back in the day, or you follow a Robert Friedland or the big net, that's easy. But it, we're speaking general terms and there's 1400 companies in Canada um, or on the Canadian exchanges. Picking, picking the right one, it, it is difficult. Right. So, so what do I do? I talk to management teams. I talk to other investors. I talk, I have a WhatsApp signal groups with people I exchange thoughts on. Um, I, I read the press releases meticulously. I listen to interviews. Um, again, it's COVID silver lining. There's so much high quality content out there now mm. that uh, I can't even keep up. Right. So, um, maybe that's a start. And is there a specific? <laughs> And is there a specific niche within the commodity space that you might focus or is it you're just you'll cover anything related to mining? Um, good question. Like it's mostly gold, silver, copper for, for me. Um, I do look at lithium, but more opportunistically, like I'm not an expert on lithium. I think it's more co more complex on the refining side. Um, it might be great to have a project, but if you can't sell it to a refiner, you don't have refining capacity. Um, so it's more of a chemical process than a mining process i think so i'm i'm staying usually away from it because again too tricky gold is much, much gold is much simpler people get it um i get it which makes makes sense um which helps too and uh, that's where i built like expertise right so it's gold silver copper for me uh like i, I struggle with all these niche commodities like the tellurium and all that stuff that comes up it's like no no that's uh pass so I, I'm still discovering commodity names that I've never heard before. So that's yeah, tel tellurium was a new one for me the other day. Yeah, so <laughs> tel tellurium. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was from a, Ma a Marvel movie, so I had to Google <laughs> that one. First, first tellurium. There's a public company out there. I think they're the only one, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, okay. So then, when we look at what's happening with gold uh, and silver, because you know it's like freaking frack, cousin sister, brother sister. Anyway, you, you understand what I'm saying. Um, this market right now, and this is my opinion, we're due for at least a hard move to the upside on gold. But it almost seems like that every time we hit that 2100 resistance, it always falls back down. So what are you seeing right now that could potentially be causing that? That's the first question. The second question is in terms of deal flow, has that slowed down in terms of like, you know, mining companies going out there and getting stuff done? Good. Let's, let's focus on the first part and uh, remind me to answer the second part because that's a, that's a big one because um, we've seen a lot of activity that we can talk about. I'm not a gold bug per se. I'm not the guy who says, okay, we need to see $2,500 gold or we're going to see $3,000 gold. I'm personally quite happy with $2,000. I was happy with $1,800 because ideally the mining companies make money at those levels. Mm -hmm. um, but we do ha we have seen price increases. Inflationary, like I would call it an inflationary shock, but costs have gone up. Um, they've come down a little bit because oil price went down, but in general, like Newmont is producing at 1375 all in last quarter. It's fairly high. They used to be around a thousand. So that's almost a 40% increase in costs, which is not ideal. Okay. So of course I want to see a higher gold price, mm -hmm. but we have to be realistic. It's a $5 trillion market and uh, seeing higher move, moves up means there needs to be a lot of inflow of capital, mm -hmm. right? So there's other, um, there's a rat tail of uh, what you would call it. There's a butterfly effect, maybe, I don't know, lack for a better term, if we let's say we see five thousand dollar gold, 
there, there's a lot of issues that come with that. It's part of a bigger system, like the US dollar is a currency system. Like it's a safe haven asset. So if it goes higher, there's usually something broken on the other end, right? It's not just speculation that is driving the gold price much higher. Volatility is actually not too bad for gold, although we've seen $100 moves before, like just recently, but that's a more atypical for gold. It's actually fairly constant and steady. But if we see moves much, much higher, that, that means something is broken on the other end. It could be financial reset, could be geopolitical issues, which we all don't want to have, meaning it's war usually. Um, none of us really wants that. Mm -hmm. So having a $2,000 gold price right now is already driven by quite a bit of, uh, let's call it global turmoil. So Dan, I was going to ask you back earlier, is like, why do you say it should be much higher? Right? It's like, I'm just looking at the history of things, like we're already at, uh, as you said, close to all time highs. And uh, again, I'm a PR guy in the gold industry. I should always be cheering for $3,000 gold because then all my clients would be absolutely killing it. And we'd be, you know, swimming in gold coins like uh, uh, what's the Scrooge McDuck, right? But um, that means there's, a, there's something broken on the other end. I'd rather have a slow, steady increase. It, ideally, we break through the all time high level. What is it, 2068, 2080 roughly? Um, just about gradually instead of violently, right? So I don't mind a little correction right now, personally. Well, the, the reason why, and I guess, um, you know, we're all, we're all susceptible to this. My bias is kind of getting in the way of this, but it's, it's more just having like conversations with various people in the space, people that have, you know, been doing this longer than Nick and I have, um, and that own a precious metals dealership. You know, we've had Andy Sheckman on, <laughs> we've had Loretta Zhang on, um, these are people that, that have seen more cycles than I think all of us have <laughs> in a very Rule. long time. Right. And obviously Rick rule, but you know, the one thing that I saw just with, with gold is it's like the central banks are hoarding it. Yeah. You know, if the central banks are hoarding it so much, it's just basic, you know, put your macroeconomics hat on it's supply and demand. It's like, okay, well, if there's more, if there's less of supply that's available and there's more demand for it, well, prices should technically go up, but it keeps getting suppressed. So there's a bit of cognitive bias in there as well, but at the and, same time, it's just a logical economic thing. And I would add to also is the little demise in the um, the desire for the U.S. dollar on a global scale. You know, for in the short to medium term, of course, the dollar will always have that reserve status. But there is a sh a, a exponential kind of growth in the desire to eliminate that reserve status to kind of pave a way for alternative solutions. And I believe that at a kind of like a center point of that alternative solution in a, in a, in a world of chaos, the only stable point where I know I can trust something, I revert back to gold. I'm not going to trust your dollar or your dollar. I just want to trust something I know I can trust so I can deal with other things. Oh, if absolutely. I, to... I, it's like, I fully subscribe to that thesis as well. Don't get me wrong. Like I understand the, the fundamental value of gold and gold is the only yeah, real exactly, money. Exactly. I fully believe in that. Right. But then there's the paper market as well. Yes, of course. That struggles with it. And you brought in the US dollar. So it's always a bit of a pair trade. Mm -hmm, like exactly. dollar goes up, gold goes down. Like mm -hmm. it's 99% of the time that happens. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, that's what we're witnessing right now. Once the dollar starts to really devalue, like it's been devaluing forever, like ever since 1971, it's been devaluing anyway. It's down, what is it now? 97%, 98% in total value. Exactly. Okay. That, that's continuing. Right. Yeah, it's like yeah. the question is like we, we look at Bitcoin, how Bitcoin went from five thousand to sixty thousand, and we're all like, oh shit, gold should go from two thousand to ten thousand, right? Like yeah. let's not get greedy here, guys. Like mm, it's yeah, a five thousand year old product that's been mm. slowly appreciating, okay? Exactly. But uh, I'm happy with the two thousand dollars at the end of the year. No, I agree. Despite I mean, if costs don't escalate. Okay. Yeah, if costs course. escalate, 
uh, for the producers, then uh, I'd be happy with $21, $2,200 at this. Like, in Germany, let's, we have a saying, like, to leave the church in town. Like, don't take the church out of the town. Like, like just, just leave it. It's like, let's hold your horses. Like, be happy with what we got. It will go higher. Like, that's just what the macroeconomics dictate. Mm-hmm, okay, we all see that. You brought all the points up. And that's, I subscribe to that theory. But it doesn't have to be tomorrow. Because no. that's usually not good. Yeah, and I agree that sometimes, oftentimes, when you get a volatile move up, you can get a volatile move back down. Exactly. So, so if you do get that stability movement where it goes up progressively over time, then you feel more confident knowing that, well, there's there's support under that price because it's exactly. not about a quick rush in and a quick rush out. And where I would see the more volatile, the, 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 the big push up, I would say more would be more of a silver thesis where you could see a really big price gain. Gold, you know, like my mind, I'm like, you know what? I... 2500 by year end within a year or two, I'd be really happy with that because I feel like that would be fantastic for mining. Space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that was kind but of my worth no, and silver's always been more torquey or volatile, right? And uh, comparison, it's just gold's little brother. You can buy an ounce for what is it now? 26. Uh, no, it's 2350 or something In right American, now. In American, yeah, exactly. Right? Like I just made so, a purchase of 100 coins there with some group of guys, and we paid $41 for the new 007 uh, James Bond coins, you know? So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, I'm happy with that. Let's, uh, let's not get too greedy. Let's uh, put yeah, in higher lows, right? Of and course, uh, I think that's where we're getting to. So, but now this um, translates into the deal flow component of the uh, of this subject. Uh, exactly. So um, maybe it's, uh, let me answer that part of the question. There's like deal flow. We've seen quite a bit of deal flow on the M and A side. Financings, yeah, it's not too bad, uh, but it's very. There's a dichotomy. Like the developers, producers are raising capital. They're attracting attention, but the juniors, the grassroots explorers, they're dying. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, and we track those numbers. I just heard from a CEO late last week. He was like, Kai, we raised money and all of a sudden the juniors are calling me. Like other companies are calling me up whether I can invest in their deals with our money that we just raised. Okay. And that's how bad it's gotten. Like that's an economy. Like there's there's the big end. We've seen a lot of bought deals already this year. Right. So there's there's confidence more on the institutional side, maybe some bigger money investing, some bigger checks that wanted to be written, but there's zero market buying and no attention for grassroots explorers right now that risk appetite is just not there and that what do you yeah, that, that that's probably going to continue unless of course there's like a i mean i'm going to throw a name out here that nick and i invested in and i'm sure they were at your event delta resources for example um they've obviously have it's almost like a surface level discovery of that point like there's not a lot of uh juniors out there that have that core asset i mean the ones that do are more likely to raise at higher valuations and have less dilution. But it seems like, you know, with all the inflationary pressures happening in the world, you need to have a good core asset. That's without a question at this point. You're, you're, you're almost like shooting yourself the foot if you're just going to raise money in a, and then just hope and drill, right? <laughs> exactly. So like Delta is a good example. They just raised 10 million in a bought deal. Um, they have a good asset. They had decent drill success. They need to prove that, that they actually have something. And the market is willing to give them that money to test their thesis, right? You'll always have those, let's, let's call them outlier stories. You'll always have that oh. one or two stories that just completely fly because either they do proper no, no, proper marketing. That's not the right term. They do, they just get the right attention. They actually hit a hole, the right people talk about it, and then they fly. That's just how it always is. But then there's other good groups. They're just getting zero attention. Like we're just talking to, to Banyan, for example. Tara Christie was just sitting across from me here. They just put out a resource, 6.2 million ounces inferred. Uh, they added 2 million ounces in a year. 
uh, 50,000 meters of drilling and the market just gave them three measly cents. That's up 8%, but now they're trading at 41 cents. It's 120 million market cap. Uh, I think they added 40 ounces per meter drilled, right? Uh, there's a massive disconnect. Mm -hmm. Those companies should be way higher value because she can now almost show tier one status company, meaning 6 million ounces, 74% recovery, trying to get to 100,000 or 500,000 ounces a year production at over 10 year mine life. That's tier one status, for example. She's very, very close, but she's not getting the value. That's just one example. I got a dozen others because um, the market is just not there. There are not enough buyers. That's why it's like I brought up Matt Badiali and earlier he said, well, we had 160,000 subscribers and he asked me whether the community is growing. Mm -hmm. It feels like the community has completely disappeared to a degree. And do you think, is there, in this space, do you see, is there like um, a more of a focus from a geopolitical standpoint? Like, do people want to invest in Europe and in Africa or are people mostly focused on North America? Like, is there, do you see a, a, a preferential? Uh, generally, there is. Uh, perceived tier one jurisdictions, Canada, US, Australia. And then uh, it starts to get a little more tricky. Like, we track numbers as well. And I'm presenting at a conference in uh, Ecuador, actually, in June. Where I'm going to take a closer look and I haven't done all my homework yet at uh, money flow into South America um, in particular, especially with uh, geopolitical uh, events going on there, like the elections more going left, mining policy changes, things like that. So there, there is, in my opinion, there is a bias um, towards tier one jurisdictions. Uh, the, the numbers prove that as well. I, I need to do my homework to give you an exact number, mm -hmm. but it is happening. Like you see more flow through going into Canada, for example. Uh, yes, there's tax credits associated with it, but it also means you, you just want to park money in high and safer jurisdictions mm -hmm. and you're happy to take the extra tax credit. It's like what I just saw with um, in Chile, where they announced that they wanted to take, was it 40 or 50% of revenues from mining companies if they wanted to continue to operate or something like that? Yeah, taxes will go up to 47% in total through various royalty and tax schemes. Yeah. Exactly. So total was the total money going to the uh, to the to the government will be around 47%. So. You know, and I feel like that's a, that it it doesn't incentivize a company to or investors to want to take on that risk cuz it's like yeah, price might go up, but it's like the revenue is not going to come back to me. It's going to go to the state. So, you know, something you can definitely throw into your let's call it Excel model, right? So if if you're willing to do that. Me as a retail investor, like I'd consider myself a retail investor, uh, just like, okay, it's for me, a share price upside. Can they come up with something different? For me, the models are not that important. Mm -hmm. I think it's more important to have some clarity and they finally provided that clarity on uh, what, what is going on with the royalty scheme. And the companies were quite worried about even higher taxes. I think they actually came in on the lower end mm -hmm. when it came to that. So, so they're definitely not the highest tax country. Okay. What are your thoughts on this whole sort of and nick brought it up earlier which is like the esg craze um you know i again this is my opinion I, to me it seems like there's this whole idea of creating an esg score so you could get access to financing from big corporations that's just again an opinion but has has it been overhyped to a point where it's created so much uh, pressure on potential miners in the space that, you know, we could see the deficit could be expanded much longer than most people are anticipating. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's a, it's a tricky subject to be honest. Uh, cause I've, half of my opinion is based on, okay, somebody's trying to make money off of this mm -hmm. selling reports. The other half is I believe that we're fulfilling most of those ESG standards already without putting reports out. 
Okay. Um, there's extra cost added to it. And the, the smaller, the minor, so not minor, sorry, this is the wrong term, explorer. Because as you all know, some of the companies are run by three men or three people, not men, just three people, the CEO, CFO, corporate secretary, uh, who are all part-time, by the way, and the VP exploration was often the CEO as well. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm naive enough to believe that we adhere to higher, high standards, especially when the companies are listed on an exchange, um, internationally recognized exchange. Okay. You as an investor can vote or invest based on you buy shares or not. Right. Um, do those companies, those small cap companies need ESG reports for my money? No, no. That's a waste of time and money and resources. They should use the $50,000 to rather do a geophysical program or a drill and create some value in the right way. Okay, I believe they're going to do it the right way. Like, don't do any work without consultation of uh, local communities. That, that, that's what I would say. I'm, I'm naive enough to believe in that. Okay, because they're listed there. If I hear things that they're not doing it, well, I wouldn't invest. Okay, like the market will tell them you don't need a report for it. Okay, your, your question was very report focused, but I don't see BlackRock investing in those small juniors, 10 million market cap with an ESG score of 95 or so. Right, too small for them. No, nobody cares. Big producers for them, they they don't notice the cost. But I was talking to another producer, produces around 150, 160,000 ounces a year, and we did the math a little like on a on a per ounce basis what it would cost them to put out ESG reporting and ESG like a score and things like that. Like all of a sudden, you're looking at maybe five dollars an ounce and add a cost to it. You have, uh, or sorry, sorry, two dollars, two dollars per ounce at a cost, but nobody's willing to pay for that. Okay, so if you were to issue shares at 10 and 12 cents and with 12 cents, you get an ESG report with 10 cents, uh, you don't, I don't think anybody will pay 12 cents for the same 10 cent share. Okay, mm -hmm. does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. you don't get a premium. Um, it, it's a difficult topic because I'm naive enough to believe that people will do the right thing. There's all you'll always when there's money involved, you'll always find shysters. Okay, you always will. But it's up to you to find that out and call them out. And I think the industry is doing a good job calling out people that are behaving the wrong way. Just go on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are lots of good followers out there that call out the bullshit. And I really appreciate that. We need that. Although I also think it does our industry a little bit of a disservice because we always shine the light on the negative and never on the positive. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mining industry is at the forefront of a lot of ESG initiatives. Um, there's a lot of innovation happening on the ESG side in our sector that we don't talk enough about. Okay, so we always put ourselves in a bad light and we should be actually pillars of, of or we are pillars of the society meeting, mm -hmm. doing the right things. And again, if there's money involved, you'll always see bullshit. You always do. Okay, there'll always be a black sheep in the herd of white sheep. Like that's always what it, like. It's human nature at that point, essentially. Exactly, that's exactly yeah. what it is, right? So, no, that's uh, that's my two cents on that. And, no, but it's true uh, also because from a mining perspective, you know, it's like, you don't really, nobody really talks about all the innovation. And I find that like, if, if the, if the government with their mandates and the banks are going to get very complicated with the SG and they're not going to allow space for the mining ecosystem to take on capital investments to innovate and progress and adapt and grow, then the very input to the entire development of the world's electrification will always stay stagnant with dependent on the same old tools that they will use, that they used. So uh, you need you need that kind of like space for them to do what they need to do to invest to grow and you got to shine on the growth you know like with the using three dimensional models using um, um, uh, drones now to do the different tools or whatever the case may be or AI I feel like AI might do uh, might be some cool little tech that can come in and help with the discoveries of uh, mining space and you won't necessarily need to drill as much. 
but again that's just i'm just speculating no it's like but uh, th there's so many great charities like i'm personally like personal experience my son broke his femur in in may 2020 okay here in vancouver okay. fantastic timing right but uh, we got to go to bc children's and some of the top uh, donors are mining companies to the cost like mm. they have a donor wall there and actually was really really proud to see that as a perfect example how mining is actually a big part of the community and how we're doing a lot of the right things right um tara chrissy again she was sitting just in front of me 15 minutes ago before our interview that's why it's, she she runs a charity every day every student every student every day phenomenal impact in the yukon community for example okay those things like we we don't talk enough about like mining companies have a massive impact on the sort on the on the community in the areas mm -hmm. and a lot of them definitely not all of them but a lot of them do the right things and we don't talk enough about that Right. So I think uh, we, we should highlight that, that a bit more. There's actually a fundraising going on for a pie throwing contest right now, also for BC Children's that I donated personally to because it's close to my heart. Like it, it makes it, it actually is like it was a really proud moment seeing the donor wall and the impact that the industry has because it's a it's a brand new hospital. Fantastic quality. Like it was fantastic to see that that the mining industry had a big part. I think tech was a big sponsor. Uh, Wheat and precious metals was a big name on it. That just made me proud like because I'm part of that ecosystem. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the the one thing I I think Nick and I like, and I think you relate to this too, is the 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 wealth in the mining space is quiet, right? It's not like flashy. It's not out there. And that was the really big eye opening thing for me when I went to all these mining conferences. Was like you could not tell in that room who had a hundred thousand dollars, who had a million dollars who had a billion dollars and that's what i found so fascinating because when i go to these other events these tech events particularly the crypto events and again i'm not bashing on i'm not bashing on like anybody here but it's just like a different type of sort of you know way to way to go about life and what you just said just reinforced what the point is it's like that type of wealth is really quiet i think that's the best thing about it because the flashier you are the more likely probably doing some kind of shady shit like let's be honest no exactly like somebody right. needs to feels flashy pulls yeah. up to the convention center in a ferrari and parks it in the handicap spot right <laughs> those are the people you don't want to work with and you don't want to invest yeah. in because you know their interest is not your interest okay exactly so the interests are not aligned yeah, exactly there, there are there are chairman i know people drive mclarens and stuff in the industry but they don't boast about it people know they do that like who cares like yeah it's well deserved they put in the hard work they've created wealth for others they've done 100%. it the right way I have no problem with that. It's well deserved. Go at it. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. But in general, and I know exactly the crowd you mean. Stay away. That's a, that's a first warning sign. Stay away from that. No. Is there is there are there names in this? Like, if you're gonna share some names or some people that, like ourselves or listeners or other people can learn from, who are some people you would recommend? Oh, that's a good question. Um, ooh, good question. Okay. Oh, let me get back there, there. There's a lot of people out there, like in in general. Like, who would I put on a pedestal? I guess the first three I think that it's, come to mind. The first three that come to mind, really. Like, I look again. I keep coming back to the same person, but mm -hmm. Tara Christie does a tremendous. I have a lot of respect for her. She's okay, cool. she's a Yukoner, comes from a mining plaster mining family. She does everything the right way. I have not a single bad word to say about how she operates. And finally, success is following her as well. Like 6.2 million companies finally worth 120 million. Um, those are people I would follow, right? Um, there are many others. Like, oh, like Nikki Atzet-Bell is another person that comes to mind. Brilliant, brilliant mind involved in Bravo Mining as a chair, executive chairman. Uh, but somebody, I, 
like I look forward to the advice. I ask questions, like I get a bit of mentoring from as well. Um, but it goes back, it goes both ways. It's people I, I have tremendous respect for, uh, for example. Funny enough, I mentioned two women, not a man just came back up to talking about diversity. Eh? And but, it's all because um, this, space is mostly, <laughs> this space is mostly men too. Yeah, but those are people I get a lot, a lot of feedback from. I get, personally, I get a lot out of the conversations I have with them, right? Her husband, Nikki, Nikki's husband, for example, as well, used to be fund manager at Sprott. Brilliant mind. Um, so, and there are many more people that should be named here, like putting me on the spot now. But... Uh, <laughs> There, there are many others. Like I, I think, as an industry, we're actually doing a good job overall. Like, just follow some of the names. Like Rick, Rick Rule, you you brought up Rick Rule. W would you follow him blindly? No. I just I just but, like uh, there there's to his perspectives. Uh, no, exactly. He's like, but yeah. but uh, every deal he does, you got to look out for like ask, always ask the why question, right? Like, mm -hmm. what's in it for you and for him and everybody else? So there's others. Like, but people have been successful, right? So yeah. in the in that sector. Uh, yeah. The Robert Friedlands of the world, um, Ross Beatty, I have a lot of respect for. He's the chairman of the BC Parks. Um, that's actually a great example of somebody like I'd look up to as well. Like he's now a chair of the BC Parks Committee. He does a lot of philanthropy um, with the money he created. He's, he's a billionaire as well. Um, that's fantastic. And he's a non-fleshy guy. I think he drives an Audi e-tron, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I've seen him driving around. That's why. <laughs> but um, maybe he has other cars, but he doesn't. Like, doesn't doesn't matter. Right, so you wouldn't know just driving on the street, which is no. which is really interesting. Um, no, it's cool, man. Like, there's so many, uh, there's so many key takeaways just from going to those events. Um, and to be honest, like, I did not have, I don't think Nick had, I had no, like, I maybe taken bio, bi biology, I maybe taken <laughs> biology and chemistry in like my grade eleven, my grade twelve classes, but like, I had no idea what geology was to the core until you actually go to these events and you start realizing it's like okay so this is where it comes into play and you can actually make money doing it or you can lose a lot of money doing it as well so um that that that's what was so interesting um what what would you say to somebody who's just getting started in this space uh to really like hone in like in their first two to three years like what the, what should they primarily focus on obviously everybody wants to make money i think that's the end goal but like for them who's just getting into the space like what is that one or two things that they could focus on for like the next like one to two years uh, interesting you bring the timing time aspect in there like it, it depends on what your goal is like my, my goal is i'm big picture guys like i want to do this for the rest of my life i want to stay in the sector whatever role that is okay so for me one to two years is all a very short time horizon right but uh, if you start on the sector well go to the conferences build a network i think that's invest in yourself and uh, investing in yourself means travel go to the conferences go on site visits and build that network right um Again, like you see that the end goal is to make money. Yeah, but uh, how quickly do you need to make that money, mm -hmm. right? Uh, as an investor, don't bother. Just go buy whatever is hot right now and try your luck, right? Or find one guy you can follow blindly on Twitter, take it by his picks. Not the best idea. There are other platforms as well, right? So, but if you play the longer term game, if you're a young investor or even middle age, doesn't really matter, play the longer game. Take your time, take it easy, slow down, like meet with the right people. CEOs love to meet and chat, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, they have so much time for you, especially right now, there's no other investors around, right? Use that, 
and uh, I said it before, COVID brought out so much great content, like this podcast, like like what you guys are doing and others, there are other great podcasts. Listen to that. Build your knowledge database, right? Write down the names. And that's one regret I have. I should have written down all the names of people I came in contact with in an Excel sheet and started make, putting comments next to them. It's all, it's all up in here, but I'm, start, I'm starting to forget, <laughs> right? Um, but in the end, it comes down to who, who do you know in the sector and who, who, do, who to avoid, right? Like, who do you want to know? Align yourself with the right people. Who do you feel comfortable working with or investing in, right? Um, keeps coming down back to people, but uh, that, that's a good starting point, right? Especially no, if you're I, new I to the sector. I agree. I've learned. I've. I. It's. I haven't really invested in any company that I haven't really met or have had dialogue with someone that knew the company that wanted. I had some thoughts on it. So it was really me building networks, going to conferences and going to luncheons and suppers, getting to talk to people in the space and getting to see their perspective and going, okay, I like that. I like the way you're you're digging, you're dissecting the issue, or you like this company. No, no, no. You had your thoughts on this, and it, it really, yeah. you especially the space. You're right, though. You know, like going to the Vrick conference was. You know, that was for, that was a blast for us. You know, like it's just it's three days of just getting to talk to people and see conversations of all kinds of subjects, and then everybody wants to drink after and talk more, and you know, it was great. Absolutely no, and that's the the networking. Like the, the industry is so small anyway. So if you piss off one person, the other five thousand people will find out rather quickly, right? Yeah. There's uh, and that, that's the effect, like it is such a small industry and we've never taken on a client without breaking bread and having a beer with them. Honestly, 100%. Like, yeah. Because in the end, like, why bother? Like it's, it's relationships. You got to be able to work with people. You got to trust them as well. Like, as I said, there's a naivety to, to what I do because, you know, I don't ask for ESG reports when I take on a new client. I have to trust them that they do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right, like we can cut off, we can cut clients as well if we want to. Right, it's not a one-way street, so that's 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 a key. Yeah, and so now to go back to the investment side of things, do you like kind of like finishing it off? Are there like if you can, are there names you you like? Are there are there certain companies that you should you suggest people watch out for? Are there you know plays that you're specifically involved in that you think are worth our attention? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's, especially right now, there's so much opportunity, so many companies undervalued. I brought up Banyan, I'm a shareholder mm-hmm. um, as well. Now they got 6.2 million ounces as of today, 110 million market cap, I believe, 41 cents. Um, if you believe in the thesis that they're going to grow it to 7 million, so they become a true tier one, then uh, that's what for you at 110 million market cap. I would say it's a no-brainer. It's a Yukon. There's some other risks involved, per- permitting, jurisdictional risk, others, like there's so much involved in that. But uh, that's where it gets like still it's still cheap. If you do a mm-hmm. math cal- calculation like market cap per ounce, then uh, then that's one you definitely need to look at, right? Uh, Montage Gold, for example, uh, in in West Africa, I've been to the project Ivory Coast, three point four million ounces. Uh, they're adding quite a bit of new like new gold to it. Like they don't have to put a number out yet, but they bought three hundred forty thousand ounces from Barrick. They're drilling, coming up with some fantastic high grade hits. Actually, they put out three weeks ago, three weeks ago, one of the best hits ever um, on the project. It was 118 meters at 2.7 grams, right around there. Don't quote me on the exact numbers. Mm-hmm. And the market didn't react. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, no, no reaction at all. Because all of a sudden, their, their development project, the Kone project, which was calculated 0.7 grams, has a much, much higher feeder uh, in, in, for a ramp up, for example. Okay. So the economics have drastically improved. Um, they haven't put out a new technical study up yet or the new uh, 
apologies, feasibility study yet mm -hmm. to, to sort of verify the, or verify, like you to sort of make it understand, how do you say that? It's like to put, to put it black and white, what the economics are. But if you're following the story, you can understand that 2.7 grams is more than 0.7, okay? And that payback can be faster, okay? That's a, it's very, very simplified. But th those are some of the names I follow. Um, also, great management team, Rick Clark. They sold $7 billion company back in 2010. I was right back mining to, to, to Kinross. They know how the game works. Beric, Perseus, the Landine family involved as well. Um, another company I own personally, I actually own all the companies. Um, uh, Fireweed Zinc, um, really like the management team. The Landines just put in $27 million. They have a great run rate. You have to be comfortable with the zinc, obviously, as a commodity. Um, depending on your outlook, it's an industrial metal, priced a bit different, but very opaque. You can look, or yeah, no, transparent, not opaque. It's transparent. You can look at it. You can do your own math. It's in the Yukon as well. That's uh, Brandon McDonald's uh, company, right? He's the leader of that? It, it, it is, yeah. Uh, I'm a fan of Brandon. I'm a good friend of his. I support what he's doing. I bought some shares at uh, in a private placement at 50 cents. So I'm a happy shareholder. He's one of the few stocks that I'm actually up on this year. Fantastic. Happy about that. But he's been doing a killer job getting the Lundins and other bigger groups involved. Um, and I still think that company's massively undervalued for what they actually have. And once the market sort of understands that, um, there's some fun to be had. Um, so it's interesting because I'm, I'm quoting Nikki Atzad Bell now because she said, well, sometimes the market gives you opportunity to acquire something before the market actually understands what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think the examples I've given you are sort of that scenario. We've seen it in others, like a reunion gold or so, where the market, they put out a drill result and the market didn't react for two and a half, three months. And all of a sudden the stock started running because the market digested is like, holy shite, that's a good project. Okay. And though all those catalysts I mentioned, like Banyan, Montage, or even Fireweed, like the market hasn't really figured out what's going on. The market isn't really looking anyway right now at any of these, or I wouldn't say just these companies, it's the market. Like volume on the venture is dead, right? So you have time to position. You don't need to jump in any of these names. I'm, I'm, that's my personal prediction. I'm sure you have two to three months right now until the early, let's say mid-August before the first people come back and try to be um, front-running a fall rally, right? So let's say mid-August mid is when by mid-August you should buy these names. That, that's my prediction. Okay, cool. Interesting. I like. I think that's a bold piece. Again, these are forward-looking statements. This is oh, not very much so. advice. We want to make sure that... If you're going to invest in something, consult the financial advisor. But uh, <laughs> no, I think look, it's it's one of those uh, sectors where you kind of have to sit on your your hands a little bit. You got to be really mm -hmm. patient, uh, and like you said, talk to management. That's what's so great about this is like I could literally pick up the mm -hmm. phone today, call the CEO, have a conversation, and then that is the starting point of potentially you, you know, getting a maybe a ten bagger or maybe losing I don't know a thousand bucks. Manage your risk. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to wrap it up with one last question. Um, just from your experience doing this, like what to you personally, uh, what have you learned throughout this entire journey? Like what, if there's one thing that you could take back, maybe even tell your kids, maybe even tell the listeners about like what it is that you've learned throughout this entire process. Like what's that one thing? Stay true to your values. I think Comes, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Like ours and SOAR are like honesty, integrity, and quality. Don't give up on that. Like there's some, you'll be presented a lot of opportunities to make quick money in this sector through very, from various groups that you probably want to stay away from. 
So if you can resist that, then uh, the rest will come, I think. Otherwise, when it's it's playing the macro game, it's take your time, make the yeah, right like moves, and you'll stay here. Exactly. Don't be in a hurry. No, it makes sense, and it aligns with the thesis of you know, like gold. That's fundamental. You know, it's it's play the long game with that. You can't play the short game on that one. Exactly. So, nice. Kai, we really appreciate you coming on. I mean, this has been a great uh, chat about uh, sort of the the history. Although I guess we're all millennials here to a certain degree, right? So I'm an elder millennial, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so where where can the uh, where can the listeners find you? Uh, Twitter is probably the best way to okay. to reach out. It's uh, at JR Mining Guy on Twitter or at Sor Financial, more the corporate side. Um, but uh, I think DMs are open, so feel free to spam me. <laughs> because i was on you... Inst- i was on instagram and i was like there's no junior mining guy yet i mean you should claim that no i was like i'm not into dancing or reels and all that stuff so uh no no it's not for me you, <laughs> you won't great. see a lot of flashy shiny stuff like the only shiny stuff i'll put on there is probably a gold bar photos of gold bars or something mm-hmm. so and yeah uh, store financial is also on youtube uh, yeah, uh, YouTube channel is Soar Financially. Exactly. Uh, I think if you type in at JR Mining Guy on YouTube as well, you'll find it too. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, listen, Kai, thanks again for coming on. We can't wait to have you back. And, uh, you know, these markets will do what they do. But there's a lot of volatility and opportunity ahead, as I say. Be patient, guys. I think our time will come. I've been saying that for 12 years. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But uh, thanks so much for having me on. It was, uh, it was a great pleasure. Awesome, of course. Likewise. And we'll see you next time, guys, on the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Talk, guys.